Welcome once again to another episode of Bleeding Edge Interviews. I am your host, Super Dave. Normally, this is the point in the intro where I say we're going to be talking to the people who are pushing the boundaries and making the great modern prog rock and prog metal you hear on Brain Salad Sundays, on Toxic Radio, or on Bleeding Edge. Instead, this time around, we're changing it up a little bit. For once, we're going to pay a little bit of attention to the people who work behind the scenes. To one of the people who makes things go for the bands when they're on tour. So that you can see and hear these performers do their thing live. What we're talking about is tour manager extraordinaire, really. He has been with many of the greats. From the Eagles to Keith Urban to Robert Plant to Johnny Winter. And these days he's working with Dream Theater on their Dream Sonic tour, which will be featuring them along with Devin Townsend and Animals as Leaders. So this tour is a big deal in the Prague world. And Mr. Rick Fulner, tour manager for Dream Theater, is the guy in charge of making it happen. He also happens to be an author recently published his own book recounting a lot of the stories of his 40-year career working with so many different people in so many different venues all across the country and the world and the book is entitled stars don't carry their own baggage which really is a perfectly titled book for what it's about but be aware it is a fictionalized account of all this stuff because well you'll get to hear all about that as right now, we're going to get started with my extended conversation with Rick Fulner, tour manager for Dream Theater. Well, thank you very much for joining me. I really am glad to get to talk to you. This is different for me. I'm used to uh, have been talking to the performers and the artists, and now I get to talk to somebody that's got more of an insider's perspective, but a slightly different view of it all. That's, uh, I guess that's got to be interesting. I think it's for me probably what, it, had it occurred to me back in the day, I might have wanted to do. Because, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I am essentially talentless, but <laughs> I like to watch talented performers. <laughs> what is it like for you to, to be amongst all of these, these rock gods that you've worked with over the years? Um, well, I spent my whole childhood and my teenage years and the early part of my 20s trying to be a rock star. You know, I went to my guidance counselor. We had to do meetings and uh, with our guidance counselor. And they said, what do you want to be, a fireman or a policeman? And I was like, no, I want to be a rock star. And they're like, well, you can't be that. So you got to be something. <laughs> else. I'm like, no, I'm going to be a rock star. <laughs> so anyways, my whole life I've done, I thought about nothing else but music and yeah. biography and every biography on the planet earth. Uh, you know, so I've always been really interested in it. Then, you know, I played in some bands and they went nowhere and you get frustrated. And I just said, you know what? I don't want to do this anymore. Maybe I'll try this. Gotcha. So, so I got hooked up with a local band that started having some national success. And, uh, you know, here I am 40 years later. There you go. That's, that's a great career to have there, to be able to do something that you love for 40 years. At least. Yeah, hard to believe. You know, and it's yeah. gone really fast, you know. Uh, really no fast. doubt. So but, um, for those of us not clear on that, maybe only having a vague idea of what a tour manager does, talk a little bit about what the responsibilities are, what you've got to do. Wow. <laughs> There's a lot. So let's see. I, I do everything from once, once a tour is put together by the booking agent, they send me all the dates and then it becomes my headache. And so I book all the, the venue 
stuff that goes on. I book all the hotels, all the transportation, you know, sometimes trucks and buses. And sometimes I just do buses and the production manager will do trucks. Um, flights, you know, if there's private planes involved and everything that goes with that. And then, um, you know, then when it comes show day, I make sure the band does our interviews, make sure um, we get paid, you know, do all the settlement and make sure we're not getting ripped off by the promoters. And um, then get back on the bus and go to the next town and do it all over again. You know, it's kind of uh, almost military what we do. When, when you think about it, we kind of do the same exact thing day after day, you know, you get up, do your interviews, eat, go to the venue, do sound check, <clears throat> eat, you know, warm up, go on stage, perform, get on the bus, go to the next town. It's like the same thing every day, you know, yeah. then when days off, everybody kind of scatters and get away from each other. And, you know, <laughs> some people go to the movies, <clears throat> some go shopping, you know, it's all whatever. It was interesting because I've always, not always wondered, but in the back of my head, I, you know, I, I kind of thought, gee, I wonder what all goes on in between the shows and, you know, reading through the book and finding out, you know, one of the questions that was answered for me was, yeah, like you guys practice the setups and the teardowns and, and try to make sure you've gotten that down to a certain level of precision in order to make sure the show is moving along on time. Yeah. And it's, now, interesting to me, the contrast between, you know, the, as you described it, almost military precision of the tour manager and everybody doing that work and the uh, probably chaos that is often following a lot of the band members. Well, you know, there's myself and the production manager who are in charge of getting the show going, getting the band on stage and all of that. The production manager takes care of more of the show stuff. I take care of more of the band stuff. So, um, but yeah, I mean, some bands are super easy. Some bands are, you know, not, and, <laughs> but there's lots of drugs and alcohol involved and, you know, it can be chaotic at times. And, yeah. you know, if there's lots of ego involved, it becomes very chaotic in time between the band members. And, you know, a lot of times, you know, they'll come to me and say, well, so-and-so, you know, blah, 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 blah. And, you know, and I, I kind of have to be Switzerland, you know what yeah. I mean? I have to be neutral in all this because, you can't take sides because I got to live with all the band members, you know? Yeah. So I don't, I try not to get involved in their personal lives and their, you know, their little arguments with each other. And if they ask my opinion, I try not to give it. I try to be, <laughs> but, um, you know, but, but you have to, to keep the peace, you know, because yeah. once you take someone else's side, then whoever is against that guy is against you now. Right. And they'll do everything they can to get you fired. They'll call management and, you know, make up stuff. And wow. you know, I've learned, you know, just keep your mouth shut, basically. Yeah. <laughs> Don't get involved in, you know, band business. <clears throat> Whenever there's a band meeting, I run out the door. I don't want <laughs> any part of it, you know, unless it involves something to do with the tour. You know? Yeah. But, yeah. Um, you know, that's for the manager and the band. It's not for the tour manager. It's, you know, manager and tour manager, two different things. The manager takes care of all the band's business, you know, dealing with the record label, dealing with the accountants and make sure money's coming in and going out like it's supposed to. My job is to make sure the money goes in, you know, right. so that they have, they can pay the bills, pay the salaries, pay the buses and trucks, video, lighting, sound. I mean, uh, yeah, a lot of money goes out a lot more than people know, you know, and, Next time, next time you go to a show, I'm saying this to your listeners, you know, just look at the stage and look at all the stuff that's up there. 
all the lighting, all the sound, all the equipment, like where did it come from and who's paying for it? You know? Yeah. That's, that's what we do. We, you know, figure all that out as we go. So. That was one of the other thoughts I had and a detailed question that I always wanted to ask is the lighting. Is that typically with the venue? Does that follow you guys around from venue to venue and from city to city? Um, it depends what band it is. Yeah. You know, some will just use local lighting, we call it. Right. And some bands, like currently I'm out with Dream Theater and they're using all of our own stuff, all of our own sound, all of our own video, all of our own lighting. The venue provides nothing but stagehands, you know? Wow. So, but other bands, you know, you might use, like, you know, if you're doing a theater tour, a lot of theaters have lighting already and they have sound already. So, and if it's good, and most of it's good now, I mean, you, yeah. you know, technically it's come miles from, you know, <laughs> the 80s. Yeah. So, um, you know, most of it's all good. And, you know, you just use their stuff. And most, almost every band carries their own monitors, though, because some people use wedges, some people use in ears, some people use combination of both. So, you know, Everybody kind of carries their own monitors. Right. There's even bands we've had opening acts that they have like a little mixer like this big on the side of the stage next to them, and they're mixing their own monitors throughout the whole show. Yeah, you know, oh, nice, interesting. <laughs> like, you know, do you guys have a monitor guy? No, we do it ourselves. I'm like, yeah. okay. <laughs> hey, if you want it to sound the way you want it to sound, do it yourself, right? Exactly. If it works, it works. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so That's interesting. Yeah, to answer your question, some bands carry everything. Some bands, you know use local stuff okay. it just depends you know depends on the band and how much money you can afford to spend you know yeah because not only do you have to rent the sound and lights you have to carry it around so now you're renting a semi and right. now you have a driver and now you have fuel and now you have you know <clears throat> it just keeps adding up and adding up yeah so it can be expensive to carry your own stuff i can imagine it turns into a caravan of sorts if you really have one of those big shows rolling around oh yeah i mean there's there's people out there that have, you know, 150, 200 people touring with them, you know, and it's just, you see 10 or 12 buses, you know, nose to tail going down the road, you know, from one show to another, wow. <laughs> or even, trucks, you know, for that matter, we try to stay together. So, if, you know, if one bus breaks down or something happens, you know, there's an accident, God forbid, then, you know, we could take everybody off that bus and, you know, put them on other buses to get them to the next town so that that bus can either get repaired or, you know, get replaced or whatever the problem is. The same with trucks, you know, yeah. I mean, buses catch on fire and burn to the ground. <laughs> and I'm, I'm not exaggerating. You know, wow. they, they burn really fast. I mean, you literally have about 30 seconds to get off a bus. No kidding. Or wow. it's totally engulfed, you know, just standing out on the side of the road in our pajamas because we just leaped out of bed and jumped out of whatever, you know, window or door we could get out of, you know, that's and amazing. You sit there and watch your computer and you watch your money and you watch all your clothes. You watch everything you own just burn to the ground. It's, it's you know, it's pretty heavy. Yeah. That's interesting. I was, I was actually going to ask what, <laughs> what would represent probably a tour manager's worst nightmare scenario and i think you just answered the question unless god forbid there's something that can happen that's worse than that well something worse would be if somebody was caught inside there and didn't get out you know yeah people dying on the road is probably the worst thing that happens you know you have to i mean there's a story in my book you know of a guy who never did, did drugs in his life who had a heart attack and died and i had to call his parents and mm. you know Nobody wants to do that, especially if you've never met their parents. You know what I mean? Yeah. 
most of the time, you know, I, there's probably maybe four or five people out here that I've actually met their parents, you know, and we have like 35 people out here, you know what I mean? So <laughs> I call up and, you know, tell them who I am. They have no idea who I am. If it's uh -huh. a prank call, you know what I mean? It's, it's pretty heavy, you know, and you yeah. try to be sincere and, you know, kind of tell them what happened, you know? So that's the worst thing. You know, people have wow. died in their bunks, just had heart attacks and died in their bunks. Some OD's in their bunks, you know, yeah. the bunks. Yeah. And it, it's funny, I didn't even conceive of that possibility before I asked that question. And yet, you know, we're talking about, off, you know, rock stars who have a habit of dying young. Yeah. Oh, yeah. The 27 is a big number. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> all the rock stars that have died at 27. Yeah. You know? And you say all that. And I, I'm just there thinking, geez, how did I not even consider that as a possibility? But then I guess it probably didn't occur to me that that could fall on you to be the person to end up handling that. Like, wow, that's yeah. an amazing thought of something to have to process yeah, when I mean, you were well, out. Gonna do it, you know? Yeah. Wow. That's supposed to be the, you know, the guy in charge, the father, the, you know, the spokesperson for the band, you know, I'm, yeah. I'm supposed to be all these things. And, you know, it's not always glamorous. It's not always fun, you know? Yeah, really. That's amazing. In my head, I was sort of, as I'm reading through the book and I've, I'm still in the early parts of it because I only got a copy of it fairly recently and, and I'm a slow reader. <laughs> I'm terribly <laughs> slow. Um, but reading through and, and already I've just gotten the impression that the life of a tour manager falls somewhere between camp counselor and cat herder. And I'm just wondering how near the mark that is. Oh, it's right on the mark. You know, I, I always say I'm, I'm, you know, I'm everybody's brother sister mother father best friend worst enemy drug counselor you know marriage counselor all wrapped in one you know yeah. there's days that people hate me and the next day you know they might love me again you know yeah because i you know unfortunately i'm the one that has to make decisions at times that don't you know make everybody happy yeah yeah so and there's lots of decisions to be made you know yeah yeah you know, like you know, why aren't we staying at the, you know, Marriott hotel? Why are we staying at the Hyatt? You know what I mean? It's like, <laughs> we like the Marriott better. Well, the Marriott's not available. So I had to make a decision and, you know, this is where we're at. You know, yeah. walk, walk over to the Marriott. If you, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But just, you know, sometimes, you know, bands, silly things like that bother band members, which is crazy, yeah. you know? So, yeah. So there's tough decisions to be made. You know, I have to fire crew people, which is never fun. Right. You know, they don't do their job and the band member will come to me and say, I can't deal with this guy anymore. You know, we need to replace him. You know, that's never fun. Bus drivers I've had to let go mm. because it's just dumb things that they were doing. There's, there's this whole story in my book about a guy with a, a laser pointer who's driving with no lights on 60 miles an hour down the highway, pointing a laser pointer out the window, you know, a little thing like the size of this pen here. Yeah. And he's going, you know, and I go out and it's completely dark and I'm thinking, well, you know, it's dark and I'm half asleep and I use the bathroom. I come back on, I'm standing there going, something's not right. So I go out to see what the, you know, what the driver's doing and all the lights are off, including the headlights, the running lights, everything is off. And he's got a laser pointer and he's just pointing it down the road, at stop signs and yield signs and whatever, you know, speed limit signs. And I'm like, what are you doing? You know, and he goes, and he's a big old Southern boy. And he's like, look, I got me one of them in there lasers. Look how far it can go. 
you know, and I just went out crazy on him and told him to turn the lights back on and, you know, stop being a moron. And I had, you know, the next day I had to let him go because he's risking our lives. Yeah. The bus driver is like probably one of the most important people on a tour because everybody's lives are in their hands, you know? Yeah. I've I've kicked drivers off that were drinking before they drove. You know, that was back in the eighties when, right, right. Now there's, you know, all kinds, they have to take drug tests and everything else. Yeah. But back then there was nothing, you know, anybody could drive a bus. So, yeah. Look how far the laser pointer can go. I don't know, Bubba. Can it reach the unemployment office? That might help (laughs) you find it. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) There's some crazy people out there. Yeah. But yeah. And I've been in the position of having quote unquote, that burden of power, that burden of authority or whatever you want to say of being responsible for what others are doing, not just my own performance, but having to manage that cast of characters, having to, you know, let people go or whatever, or reprimand them or whatever. And, you know, that's, that's again, in my mind here, as I'm reading the book and as I'm talking to you, it's, it's an, it's a perspective on the tour manager that, for me as an outsider, it never occurred to me that that's what it would entail. So it's, it's, it's fascinating to get that, that other perspective, you know, watching the rock stars get to their shows. <laughs> it's funny. Some people that have, you know, bought the book and read it have emailed me or messengered me. And they're like, I read your book. Why do you do this? <laughs> <laughs> Why do you put yourself through this? <laughs> but like, you know, it's, if you love it, you, it's not a job. You know what I mean? Yeah. So you take the good with the bad, you know, some yeah. days are amazing, you know, winning Grammys and going to award shows and winning awards, you know, stuff like that. Just seeing the band go from nothing to something, you know, that's, you know, that's what it's all about, you know? Right. Wow. It's all about making the show happen so fans can enjoy it and the band can be successful. And, you know, that's our job, you know, yeah. that's all of our jobs, the drum tech, the guitar tech, the keyboard tech, you know what I mean? whatever your job is, that's what the goal is to make yeah. the fans happy and enjoy the show and make the band successful, you know? Yeah. And what a great way to live really. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. It's not about, not about me. You know, it's not about any, anybody in the crew. It's never about us. It's always about, yeah. them, you know? So, yeah. So yeah, it's, it's a different, you know, it's a different way of life. It's not for everybody, you know, yeah. Some people just can't deal with it. Did you get to my, uh, the part of the book about what it's like to live on a bus with people? <laughs> I have not yet, but I've actually witnessed it in action ever so slightly. One <laughs> of my interviews occurred with the band members on their tour bus and other band members kind of passing by the camera, getting coffee, poking their head in, saying hi, you know, <laughs> you got a right. little bit of a taste of it, but I'm sure that was a very, very small tip of the iceberg. Well, people for years, people have always asked me, so what's it like, you know, to live on the road and travel on the bus? That must be great. And this is what I tell them. This is what I say in my book. Tomorrow, when you go to work, no matter what your job is, the first 11 people that you see, not the the 11 you like, just the first, it could be the secretary, the janitor, just the first 11 people, write their names down. And then when you go home that night, just think about you have to live with, you have to sleep three feet away from them tonight. You have to eat dinner with them tonight. You have to get up in the morning and eat breakfast with them tonight. You know, you spend your whole 24 hours a day, seven days a week with those same people, whether you like them or not. You know, we don't all like each other out here. You know, we might all have the same goal, but yeah. that is we like each other, you know. 
So, because, yeah. you know, there's so many personalities, you know, I like my current crew, there's people from all over the United States and Canada, you know, none of us are neighbors and friends that hang out, you know, we're all just, you know, professionals and live in different parts of the, you know, the U.S. and Canada. Yeah. So, um, you know, so anyways, just think about that, you know, just think about, okay, you know, I really hate that guy, Bob, you know, <laughs> but you have to live with him. You have to figure out how to get along with him. You have to, you know, kind of ignore his, you know, idiosyncrasies and his weirdness, you know, yeah. but um, because murder is not an option. Murder is not an option. <laughs> Throwing people out the bus while it's moving is not an option. Yes. <laughs> but you know what? And as long, but as long as people are doing their job, then it is what it is. You know, there's yeah. just because you don't, you don't like them tough, you know, get over yourself. You know, he's doing a great job. You know, the, the drummer is happy or the keyboard player is happy. And that's all that matters. You know, it doesn't yeah. matter if you like them or not, as long as they're doing their job. Yeah. Sometimes you, you got to figure out a way to make the personalities work in order to, you know, meet the goals, get to right. the end where you want to get to without uh, doing damage to one another. Yeah, exactly. But uh, trust me, there's tours where people beat each other up and all oh, kinds of weird stuff, you know. It does happen. <laughs> yeah, it shouldn't, but it does. Yeah, and it, and speaking specifically about the book, we've we've talked a good bit about the job itself, and we've talked about parts of the book. Stars don't carry their own baggage. I, I love the title, and I, I don't know if the double meaning was intended, but I certainly figure to an extent, depending on where you're at in the career, that's probably very literal. You're not picking up and carrying your own stuff. And at the same time, I got to wonder how many of them have that personal baggage, that metaphorical baggage right. that they're not carrying, but everybody around them probably has to deal with in some way, shape or form. Was that intentional in the title of the book? Um, yes and no. I'll, I'll, I'll give you a brief. I, I, I probably came up with 10 different titles for the book and I wasn't happy with any of them. <laughs> and so I just kept thinking about it and writing stuff down as I was writing the book. Anyways, one night I went to bed. I got up at like four o'clock in the morning to use the restroom. I got back in my bed and all of a sudden it clicked in my head that years ago, probably 25 years ago, I was working with this female artist and we were checking out of the hotel and I was at the front desk paying the bill. And this lady came up to me and got like this far from my face, right? Never met this person before in my life. And she goes, stars don't carry their own luggage. And she turned around and walked away. <laughs> and I'm like, okay. And I just didn't think anything of it. So I went back to, you know, getting us checked out of the hotel and paying the bill. So I go out, I get on the tour bus and that lady's sitting there. It was a singer's mom who I'd never met before. Oh, wow. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> and, and so it was, you know, it was never brought up again, but I just thought it was really weird. But I totally forgot about that story until, like I said, one morning at four o'clock in the morning. So I scribbled it down on a piece of paper and, you know, I, I told my wife, I said, what do you think about this title? She goes, yeah, that's really good. You know, and uh, I said, but I think I'll change it to baggage. So it has a double meaning, you know, because uh, the, the, the band Cherry Thieves, who's the band in the book, also has is a double meaning. So, yeah. So yeah, I, I, those, I like those things, you know, and um, so yeah, so that's where that that's where the title came from. It actually came from a true, you know, road story. And yeah. I just changed the, the last word for effect, you know. Right, right. That's perfect. I I I love that double meaning to it because <laughs> there's 
because you're not going to be talking much about their luggage in the book. I'm certain exactly. you're going to be talking a lot about their baggage, though. Exactly. And, it's all um, <laughs> and even early on, it's so clear, you know, like the, the baggage that the brand or the band brought just into their first tour and their first record deal. Um, one, Cherry Thieves, perfect name for an 80s rock band. Um, I understand that took a lot of work to finally get a name that you both liked and wasn't already taken uh, for your non-fictional fiction book. <laughs> it's an amalgamation of stories. What was it like for you to have to come up with ways to recount these stories in a fictional context without having, without going so far that you revealed who the true uh, perpetrators, I guess we'll say, were. But I wrote, when I, how this started out is I wrote a bunch of paragraphs, different stories. I think it was like 10. And I sent them to a publisher that I knew. <clears throat> and, um, you know, he read them. And a couple of weeks later, he got back to me. And he said, listen, you know, I shared these with some other people in the office. We love the stories. We think it'll make a great book. But you need to give us names. Names of the bands, names of the artists. You know, if you do that, we'll give you a nice hefty advance and, you know, we'll have a great book. Yeah. And I just said no, like within two seconds. <clears throat> I didn't even think about it. I just said no. <clears throat> I can't do that, you know. Yeah. I said I'm still working. I still want to work for a few more <laughs> years. And, you know, a lot of these people in the book are friends of mine. You know? Yeah. So I don't want to cause divorces. I don't want to cause, you know, managers to get fired or bands to break up because of, you know, because of a stupid book, you know? Right. So, so yeah, I was bummed out for a little while, a couple of weeks. And then one day I was out driving and I said, you know what, I'm just going to make up my own band, you know, and make up characters, give each of them a band name and make up the crew, just make up all the people. Yeah. In the book. But all the stories are exactly the way they happen. You know, the only thing that's changed is the name. Everything yeah. else is exactly the way it happened in real life so and all those stories are you know taken from you know 38 different bands that i've worked with so trying to guess who you know who they are which is funny because some people call me up and go oh i know what chapter five is all about i'm like oh. <laughs> <laughs> and they think because it's written in the 80s it's all about just the bands i worked with in the 80s i'm like no a couple of those stories just happened you know a couple of years ago you know right so i'll never divulge who's who you know or or anything like that so yeah and like you know one one uh, interviewer said you know well just tell me this and i said i can't if i yeah. wanted to tell people who it was i would have put it in the book you know right right just i just can't do it it's not yeah. you know it's not fair to them you know i wouldn't yeah. want people to do that with me with my past you know maybe i did something really bad you know in the 80s i don't want the world to know about it now you know yeah so but what a great idea, though, to, to to come up with basically that fictional band and put all those together in a way that doesn't have the salacious, I guess, overtones that a tell-all book would have. And, and obviously the repercussions for yourself that you, yeah. you wouldn't want and for those people involved. I mean, that's a brilliant idea. You know, so you get to tell the stories, but like you said, without necessarily uh, publishing things that are damaging to people you care about. Yeah, a friend, want to work with. A, friend mine, a friend of mine said you wrote a tell most story. Tell most <laughs> story. Tell all. <laughs> you told most, so you didn't tell all. <laughs> yeah. I like that. That's yeah. very good. And but, uh, I have it a thought here. I don't know. Like there's a part of me that says, boy, I, I can almost hear in my mind the basis 
for a TV show down the road. Oh, I would <laughs> love to be in part Netflix, you know? Yeah. What was the one that was just out on Netflix? Um, something Jones and the Six. Um, oh, what was it called? Not Casey Jones, obviously. Uh, I can't remember what it was. But it was about a band and, you know, they right. come from this and it's like love interest. It's almost like a Fleetwood Mac story, really. You know, they're all sleeping with each other and, you know, yeah. <laughs> sure. and stuff. But, um, yeah, so I, I watched that and I was like, you know, is it me or is it my story just better than that? You know, I just, <laughs> and my wife was watching it with me and she's like, yeah, this is kind of dumb. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I think, I think it would, but, you know, I'm partial to it. So what do I know? <laughs> yeah. but, is uh, there any writer's embellishment going on there as well, too? Or are these stories pretty much factually based as told other than the names of the real individuals? Yeah, that's pretty much all facts. That's you amazing. Know? I mean, there's a couple of little things, you know, make, maybe the sky was blue instead of black. You know what I mean? Yeah. Other than that, it's all, it's all true stories. I, what I did is I went, I still have like another 50, you know, paragraphs of things that have happened, but it just it was either about females, which just didn't work in the book, yeah, or, yeah. you know, solo artists, you know, just, it was just, it didn't apply. And, and also this took place in the eighties before video and cell phones, yeah. you know, all that. So you kind of had to pick what worked for the eighties, you know? Right. So like, there's a part I talk about MTV because that's when it started and, mm -hmm. you know, so trying to keep it all in, in that time period. Yeah. But, no, it's all, it's all true stories. I mean, this, I don't, there wasn't much embellishing because it was, no. it was easy to write because it, yeah. I lived it. You know what I mean? I was just thinking and my fingers were just going a thousand miles an hour. Right. Know? kind of highlights that old phrase that you can't make this shit up yeah oh, yeah, yeah really. but you know as um what i did is after the publishing company you know and i said goodbye I sat down with all the bands that i worked with all right i made a list of every band i worked with which took me you know hours because i can't remember that far back yeah. <laughs> i'm getting old <laughs> but um i uh and then I just spend like I, I said, all right, I'm going to spend one day and do nothing but think about one band at a time and just try to remember mm. anything I could. And that's what I did. I just walked around with a little notepad in my pocket and just thought about that band day after day after day, you know, until I wrote down everything I could think. And then I would move on to the next one in line. And there was some and nothing happened. You know, there's some female artists, some country artists that just nothing happened. There was nothing, yeah. right now, you know. And uh, but the '80s bands, there's lots to write about there. <laughs> I can imagine anybody who lived through the hair band days knows, you know, those yeah. were some interesting times. But um, the um, so yeah, so I just wrote, you know, paragraphs, sentences, whatever, you know, I could think of just to remind me, you know, when I'm getting ready to put the book together. So I did all that. That took probably a month just getting all the. And then I just went back over it and picked out things that I thought would apply. So, right. you know, so there's lots more, you know, I don't yeah. maybe I'll retire. I'll write part two or something. You know? There you go. <laughs> but, um, but here's a really funny story. This guy calls me all the way from England. It's an English band that I worked with. He calls me all the way from English. He's like, Hey mate, how's it going? And I said, great. I said, what are you doing? I haven't heard from you in forever. He goes, Oh, I just got done reading your book. And I go, Oh, thanks for buying it. Right. And he goes, well, I just called to, be, to tell you I'm mad. I'm like, why? 
He goes, because you didn't put that story in about that guy. And he goes on and on <laughs> about this thing that happened that I don't even remember. You oh, know? I go, I'll put it in the next one. I promise. I'll write it down <laughs> in the next one. <laughs> he goes, all right. <laughs> there you go. That's perfect. So he bought the book hoping that there'd be something about him in there. Right. Well, so. <laughs> That's amazing. I love it. And I think it is also a bit of a stroke of genius putting it, setting it in the 80s. And I, I don't know how much of that is because it kind of sounds like it coincides with the start of your career, partly. But also, as you mentioned, you know, like the, the 80s were notorious for the excesses of the hair bands and the consequences that went along with that. Yeah. And I can't help but think that, you know, if you found a way to put all these stories under one band, that must have been like the, the, top hair metal band in terms of everything that happens i suppose yeah. well it wasn't just i mean you know i worked with some you know we called them new wave bands back yeah. then too you know so some of that stuff happened with them okay but it was like i said it's just picking stories that would fit in with a you know an eight band you know because it takes place in 85 kind of before hair metal became you know what we call hair band metal yeah. but um so you know, I, I pictured the band. Somebody asked me, you know, well, who, who'd you picture the band when you put it together? And I said, I pictured them being like the Rolling Stones, Aerosmith, Guns N' Roses, kind of a grungy rock band. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? So not not a hair band by any right. means. It's more, you know, <clears throat> more of that bohemian look about them. Right. So I was actually thinking about having somebody do some cartoons of what of each band member to put oh, in the perfect. Book. Yeah, but I, I <laughs> so. Yeah, to get in touch with fan tunes, they do some great stuff with Rush. They do all these cartoons of tributes to Rush. Oh yeah, yeah. It's called fan tunes. Fan tunes, yeah. I'm gonna write it down. I'll, Might be perfect there. That seems to be their niche. <laughs> that's funny, because I describe what all the, um, you know, all the band members look like, and you know, right. kind of personality and stuff. So if somebody reads it, they probably anybody a good artist can just read it and go, oh, I can draw that really easily, you know. <clears throat> but I just didn't do it. I, you know, maybe in hindsight I should have, but you know, yeah. more trying to get the book done. You know, the thing about a, writing a book for people who don't know, writing the book is actually the easiest part. You know, I wrote the book in like six or seven months. The okay. hardest part was all the other stuff, you know, getting people to edit it for you, mm -hmm. you know, um, finding people that will edit it, you know, and um, without it costing you, you know, thousands of dollars yeah but, so and then i i just read about what you should do when you're writing a book and you know blah 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 and it said you should have three different people read it and make edits because everybody misses things yeah. no matter how great they are at it and no matter what kind of computer program they have you know things don't always get fixed and there are there are some things in there that that are not correct <laughs> even though three different people edit it but you know, that's amazing it's just but um you know just things like that because it takes them you know a while to go through it you know chapter by chapter and right. line, line word by word and that you know that right there probably takes you know two or three months you know getting people to do that and, and it, you know then making the cover the cover again that took that was probably like the fifth or sixth cover i did you wow. know because, you know i'm one of those guys that I kind of know what i want but i can't tell you but when i see yeah. it I'll say, yeah that's it <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, the yeah, graphics graphic design people probably love when we do that to them 
Oh yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, that yeah, you're kind of going down the right path, but no, it's totally wrong. Yeah. <laughs> like one of the covers was this guy pushing a cart in the airport, and the luggage was, you know, like from three feet off the ground of the cart all the way to the ceiling. It's a great picture that I found on the internet, and um, so that was the cover for a little while, and then. You know, I, I just changed it. I just, I, it was one of those things like, yeah, it's good, but it's not what I want. Right. <laughs> yeah. You know, and then yeah. finding font, the right font, and mm. just, you know, yeah. so many little things you don't even think about, you know? Yeah, so, really. But I, I learned a lot. I really did. It was, yeah. it was a good, uh, eye-opening experience for me. And probably good, you know, for my heart and soul, too, to get a lot of that stuff out, you know? Yeah, really. So... You know, it's, it's, that's, I hate writing. I'll be perfectly honest. I mean, whenever I've done it, but it's, it's a fascinating process to me. The idea of, of putting something together and creating something that that's cohesive, that makes sense that people are going to read later. And so there's at times, you know, things might go through my head and I go, Ooh, that could make a good story. And then as minute I think about writing, I go, Oh God, help me. No, no. You find a friend who's a writer and just, you know, throw him all the, you know. There you go. The idea. <laughs> write this for me. Yeah. Funny, my, my son writes. He, he, he has actually like four poetry books out. So. Oh, wow. And he's writing a novel right now, which he said will probably take him another year to finish. But, uh, but he was a great help because he, he had made books and put them out and, you know, sold them already. Right. He, you know, he was very helpful so most people don't have you know yeah relative that you know has done it before so a nice shared experience i think to be able to, to have with your son you know that you've yeah. both gone through that kind of thing together and and done something with it that's that's pretty cool not many people will get to say that yeah no, it was definitely good you know but, among uh, the uh eye-opening I'm things sure for me. oh sorry what <laughs> i'm sure i drove him crazy <laughs> <laughs> well what fathers do <laughs> we're, we're contractually obligated to drive the kids up the wall we can do it one of the eye openers i think for me as far as a peek behind the scenes that i've never thought of i it's been three years now that i have been doing these interviews and it's never struck me to think what level of involvement the labels have with the performers in terms of I guess coaching them and and making decisions about all right which one of you guys is okay to be doing interviews and which one of you guys is not and and I guess to an extent coaching them on on how to be uh, I guess a successful interviewee that that never struck me before that they had lay, uh, they'd given that much emphasis to it oh yeah no there's people who just do nothing but teach people how to do interviews yeah you know? wow so I mean some people I've worked with bands and, you know, guy does an interview and all he goes is yes, no, <laughs> yes. You know I mean? Those that's his, right. you know, he doesn't, he has no idea how to talk, you know, <laughs> then there's other guys who don't shut up, you know, <laughs> hours, probably like me, but, um, you know, so, but some people just, you know, if you haven't done it, you know, if you're a club band, you know, chances are you've never done an interview before. And now you're doing right. it through big magazines and rock magazines and, you know, and you just can't say whatever you want because yeah. you, know, you just can't offend people, you know, especially nowadays. But even even back then, you know, if you say the wrong thing, you turn off your audience completely and 
you know, people just go away and don't want to hear about your band, you know? Right. So there's a lot of, you know, it has to be thought out. Let's put it yeah. that way. Yeah. A lot some of pressure people, with it, I'm sure. Yeah. And some people love doing interviews and are great at it. And some people just don't want to do it. They just don't feel comfortable and, you know. Yeah. So, yeah, good. I know uh, I lived in Nashville for 28 years, so I know a lot of country artists there, but there was one female country artist who had a couple hits, but she did interview training four times because she just could not do an interview. And the, re- the guy, one of the guys at the record label, you know, every time he goes, he would tell me, well, she's back doing training again. You know, <laughs> it, you know it sounds like she's back on the farm team learning how to swing a bat, you know? <laughs> <laughs> but, but uh yeah some people just can't do it you know so yeah. there are people who train you how to speak and what not to say and how to turn things around like politicians you know sure. if you ever listen to the news trust me those people they've they've planned all that stuff out they've practiced all that they you know they don't make mistakes very often right yeah but, I, and and i've i've heard that in involved in other people i know who we're doing interviews and you got to be careful. I guess you don't ask somebody who gets a lot of their work as a session musician, who their favorite people are to work with or who they're, who there is on their bucket list because they're not shutting any doors or burning any bridges. And, and he answered it like a true politician, you know, it's like, Hey, look, I'm happy with whatever work I can get, you know, and I'm always happy to get out there and do something. And, and I, and I could hear it. I'm going, he doesn't want to answer that question. <laughs> he really doesn't, even if there is an answer, which there may not be. Yeah. But he's not giving you a clear answer on that. Right. And, and some people just dive into things, you know. You know, say a band member has left the band and you're trying to talk about your new album. And they just want to talk about the band member who left the band, you know. And uh-huh. it's kind of guide and, you know, without getting the interviewer mad, but still giving a good interview, you know. Yeah. So, you know, some people just want dirt and then some people want to, you know, get a good interview out of somebody. Sure. You know? Everybody's different. Yeah. yeah. Everybody's got their, their thing that they're doing. And I recognize as well as anybody that when you, as the book says, you know, they're there in the interview to sell their tour, their, their, their CD, their record that's coming out, whatever that's happening. Um, that's the primary focus and, yeah. and digging too much into the other stuff is maybe not the thing to do at the moment. Yeah. Well, you know, some people want to in, involve you in current affairs, you know, well, what do you think about this that happened today or yesterday or last week? Yeah. What's that got to do with my book? What's that got to do with my <laughs> album? What's that got to, you know what I mean? Yeah, really. <laughs> some people, I, like I said, some people just want to find dirt, you know, I, I don't know. I, I don't get it, but. Yeah. You know. Speaking from your experience, I'm curious. Uh, and, and, I'm also probably figuring it may vary from, from band to band really, but I, what is more enjoyable for you as a tour manager? Do you, do you like working with the emerging, emerging bands? Do they have more drama to them or is it more fun to work with other, obviously the money I'm sure is much better with the, <laughs> the, the big headliners, but um, you know, cause I'm just kind of curious, you know, reading about the early drama with this band and knowing a lot of bands go through that, but, there's plenty of bands that are five, 10 years or more into their existence. And then the drama comes out. I can only guess that it, it varies according to how, how adept these bands are at prioritizing their ambition and their goals over their interpersonal 
tensions, but I'm kind of curious, you know, where you find it most enjoyable to work with the old pros that know exactly what they're doing and everything goes smoothly or the young up and coming folks where you can see them achieving success for the first time. Well, I think when I was young and up and coming, it was fun to work with the young and up and coming bands because you felt like something you were part of it. You know yeah. what I mean? Whether you were or not, but you just felt like you were and you were up and coming too. So, you know, everybody was kind of equal, you know, going up the ladder. Yeah. And, but I mean, now I'm older and I can't work with an up and coming band. You know, yeah. they, they would drive me crazy. It's like having a house of little kids, you know? Right. And, you know, some of them get on the road and they think it, you know, that's like it is in, you know, almost famous, you know, or some other movie that they've seen. They right. just think that's what it's like. It's just partying and, you know, you play a show, then you party all night, you know, <laughs> yeah. it's not that at all. You know, it's yeah. like we talked about before. I mean, it's kind of, you get strict. You got to keep your health up and, you know, you got to, if you're a singer, you got to keep your voice up and, you know, it's, it's hard work, you know? Yeah. You can't just be drunk all the time or, you know, yeah. drugs all the time. I mean, there's a lot of bands out there, but most of them usually regret it in their older age, you know, stop yeah. once they figure out that you can't do that anymore, you know? No, yeah, no. You, you want to hear a good example of it? I talked to Mike Mangini a few weeks back and, you know, he talked at length about, you know, keeping yourself not just physically, but emotionally and, 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 spiritually centered and in shape to do all this touring you know like especially when you're getting up there in the the upper years you know it it i, I think for a lot of them it's the more they got to put more work and more focus on that and and if you've done a, a lot of damage early on and you know it makes it a lot harder to to change that's that that's hard to correct all that yeah but I guess apparently if there's an example of the possibility of doing that, it's Keith Richards who, <laughs> wow. <laughs> um, and, and I think as soon as I asked that question, it sort of struck me that, that I, I probably could picture what your answer would be that your career trajectory in many ways would mirror career tra trajectory, the bands you're working with that, yeah. you know, you start off early, you're kind of, with the up and comers and later on you're going to work with the veterans and pretty much stick with that as much as you can. I mean, I like the older established bands because there's less drama, you know, yeah. younger ones are still trying to figure out. They're still, you know, fighting over their, their space in the band and yeah. you know, they're, or they're still fighting about money or, you know, ego, that kind of stuff. But once you get older, you know, it's about making good record, putting on a good show and, you know, yeah. kind of, everybody kind of knows their lane. You know what I mean? Everybody knows their job and where they stand and it's just easier. Yeah. Know? So, but that it's all this experience, you know, it's like yeah. any really, you know, you know, which I think now seems like a good time to use the confluence of topics from veteran bands to touring to Mike Mangini. You got a bit of a big tour going on right now that, uh, you've been responsible for. And that's the dream Sonic tour dream theater, along with Devin Townsend animals as leaders. That one was uh, being a prog head, especially in a big dream theater fan. As soon as I read that bill, I went, oh, yes, I'm getting tickets. And when I saw that by the time I was able to log in, the tickets were mostly crap seats. I went ahead and said, screw this. I'm buying front row for the first time in my life. I, <laughs> I'm not messing with this. Talk about that tour a little bit. What waited. a great idea. And what a great lineup. should have waited. I would have given you free tickets. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, it's a great, it's, I mean, musically, it, 
doesn't get any better. You know what I mean? There's three amazing bands, all three of them. There's not a slacker in any of them. You right. Know? So, and, you know, going back to what we were talking about a minute ago, you know, when you get older, to be able to play, you know, that fast or that technical or, you know, you want to talk about Mike Mangini? I mean, he's a, a machine. I mean, that guy, yeah. every part of his body's going, you know, 100 miles an hour. Yeah. Um, you know, when you get older, you know, hey, your voice changes and, you know, your muscles slow down and relax and it's hard. It's really hard. Yeah. You know? So. Yeah. Imagine it's probably easy for you. Uh, these guys are, I imagine, as 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 artists are, are pretty well oiled. They're pretty much veterans, and and they keep your life easy. Or <laughs> yeah. no, they're no, they're great. I mean, I've I've done all, excuse me, <clears throat> I've done all their tours for the last twenty one years. So wow. <clears throat> so I, you know, we know each other very well. Yeah. Yeah. No, they're they're easy to tour with. They're, they're good guys. You know, yeah. they're they're professionals. You know, they they practice every day. Yeah. you know sits with his guitar every day and practices for hours you know jordan's always playing the keyboard you know and mike mangini's always warming up and you know doing all the things that he does with his feet and hands yeah. you know they all do it you know james is, spends hours warming up and doing all of his ritual i mean they all all of them you know john my young says he plays bass probably for two hours before he even goes on stage you know yeah but they all need to warm up. They're like athletes, basically. I don't know sure. if Mike talked to you about that at all. But, you know, you kind of become an athlete. <clears throat> you got a, certain muscles in your fingers have to be, you know, kept in shape so that you can go 90 miles an hour. Right. You know, your hands, your arms, your back, you know, all yeah. that. I mean, it's all really important. Yeah. You know? <clears throat> yeah. That's, that, that's an athletic event the way they do it. Very much yeah. so. Uh, that's that's. Yeah, I mean, there's bands out there, you know, that, like you said, Keith Richards. I mean, he just throws a guitar on with five strings and just, you know, strums out a couple of chords. You know? <laughs> it's not, not a whole lot of work to it, you know. Yeah. He, he just looks cool doing it, you know. Sure. <laughs> we all could look that cool at that age. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Um, but, they, and, and, but I like the idea. I understand that this is something that they're going to hope to do regularly as as basically a because there's so many Prague oriented festivals that seem to happen in Europe and I guess South America, the U S really hasn't had any very big ones. And this I'm hoping is, is going to be the seed of something that uh, potentially I guess could grow down yeah. the road. Well, that's, that's, that's what everybody's hoping. And, you know, we'll yeah. see time will tell it's up to the fans. You know what I mean? If the right. fans come out to see the shows then they can continue. If they don't come out, then, you know, what do you do? Yeah. So it's all, well, it's all I expect there's gonna be a lot of fans at this one. <laughs> <laughs> at the very least, the, the Prague world is very much a buzz with that lineup. So and 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 the fact that Mike was coy about it when I talked with him, but I've already seen videos from the opening night where yeah, what he hinted at might be happening, what I suspected these guys getting up together and playing songs together and, and that that's that's totally cool. That's that's something you just don't get to see a lot of. Yeah, and all the bands get along great. We toured with Devin already when in yeah. Europe. Um, so you know, we were we've already toured together for you know six weeks, so we know each yeah. other really well and stuff. And and uh, but the Animals guys are all great guys and amazing players. And, yeah, you know. I've not seen them yet, but I've seen Devin a couple of times. He is truly a showman. 
He yeah. is he is very much an entertainer. Never know what and, you're going to get with Devin. Right. I, I watched him <laughs> fill three minutes of time where they had a technical issue at the Royal Albert Hall in London. Actually, we were lucky enough to be traveling there. And we said, oh, yeah, we're seeing him there. And they had a tech issue. And and he basically riffed like Robin Williams for a full three minutes while they fixed that up. <laughs> There's anything this guy can't do. Yeah. Well, that, I mean, that just goes back to, you know, when you're seasoned. And I mean, it's not the first time that's probably happened. And yeah. You can either be pissy about it and throw your guitar down and run off stage and be all mad and throw shit around, you know, or you can just say, Hey, this stuff happens, you know, yeah. and make light of it, you know, and make and still entertain the audience, which is what they came for. You know? Yeah. So. Yeah. No, he's, he's definitely, he's definitely not the Pete Townsend type in terms of dealing with frustration. <laughs> <laughs> so, the only right, I, in my yeah. Yeah. Only thing that's uh, <laughs> same so one final question i have for you and this is kind of on uh behalf of the philly fans uh, because that's the area where i'm at and that's of course the show i'll be seeing at the met i'm very curious I i've heard rumors of some michigas here where oftentimes it's a it's a uh it's a city that fans will sometimes hesitate to go to because there are more stringent rules with the unions that make it harder to do shows at the venues in philly and I'm kind of curious if you're able to comment one way or the other as to the veracity of those rumors. Um, I mean, as far as the Met goes? Or any of the venues in Philly. Yeah, I understand yeah. the unions just make things a little more difficult than, I guess, compared to New York City and, and Baltimore, because we'll often, not often, but it's not uncommon to see bands hitting Philly and Baltimore or uh, New York and Baltimore, and they'll skip Philly, and, and we're all sitting here shaking our fists in the air. Yeah. No, I mean, unions are unions, you know, I don't really want to go down that road, but <laughs> I'm not a pro union guy, you know, because I know I see how many of these guys actually work and how many of them get paid not to work. You know? Yeah. So there was a venue, a very famous venue, and I was doing settlement and there was a $10,000 charge and it was just a blank line. They didn't, they didn't put it what it was for. I think they put miscellaneous expense. <laughs> and so I'm, you know, I'm going through, I'm like, what's this $10,000 here for? And they're like, oh, just ignore that. I'm like, no, I'm not ignoring it. It's $10,000, you know? And they're like, no, you got to ignore it. There's some guy in New Jersey with a crooked nose and he has to get a cut of every show, you know? Okay, then. So <laughs> I was like, well, you know, I'm not happy about it. So. I waited till the next day and I called the booking agent and I said, Hey, this happened last night. And you know, here was the answer. And he goes, yeah, let it go, Rick. <laughs> oh, wow. Oh, wow. Okay. All right. Yeah. But, um, you know, we, you know, we, we don't, we, we just deal with the unions. Our yeah. production manager is great. He knows how to handle them and without, you know, a lot of drama and, you know, yeah, they, you know, some cities they kind of run the show you know they have to everything has to stop at one o'clock so they can eat lunch but he can work and everything has to stop again at five o'clock or six o'clock and nobody can work because yeah. they have to go eat dinner you know so it becomes all about them and not about you know right. the show, which is not the way it should be but you know i don't huh. know how how i got that way but yeah i'm not i'm i'm just not a fan you know yeah i get it oh i i, I one, a surprisingly interesting 
and a refreshingly candid answer for a question that as I was asking, I thought, boy, I wonder if this is triggering his interview training. <laughs> I've never, you know, you know what my interview training was, was listening to band members for 40 years do interviews. Right. <laughs> so, I'm trying not to be the ones that I've always said, you know, oh, they were terrible. Yeah. <laughs> That's I just figure you just, you know, just talk, just be yourself, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Best you can do. Yeah, exactly. All right. Well, uh, I want to thank you again for your time, sir. I really appreciate you uh, talking to me on a Saturday evening like this and giving me your time. It's It's been fascinating. It's been interesting. I, I very much look forward to, to reading the rest of the book and, and seeing how it all ends up for uh, our friends in Cherry Thieves. And I, I look forward to the tour. I hope, it's, I hope it's really, really successful for you guys and, and goes smoothly for you because I know at the very least... <laughs> You know, get to a certain point in the career and you're going, I'm not interested in some sort of weird shit going down. Please let this just be easy. Let's, let's just pack it up and go away quietly. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh, trust me. I've dealt with some, some bad things at venues, you know, bands getting in fights and, you know, throwing stuff at uh, union guys and wow. you know, throwing stuff at local crew guys and fighting with security. I mean, it, it's all you know, I've seen it all. It never ends well. None of it. So yeah, I can imagine. It always ends with, you know, shelling out lots of money, you know? Mm-hmm. So, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so we, try, we try to keep things, you know, nice and easy. <laughs> exactly. All right. Well, I hope for a nice and easy and a highly successful tour, because I can say speaking on behalf of all of us prog nerds out there, we want more dream Sonic down the road. So all right, well, we appreciate that. Absolutely. Alrighty. All right, well, maybe, nice hopefully, I'll, hopefully I'll get to see you in Philly. Absolutely. I hope so. Take care. All right. You take care of yourself. Thanks for everything. What an amazing career Rick Fulner has had. What an amazing batch of stories he has to tell. And I know for a fact that the book doesn't cover everything that he's encountered. So I don't know. Hopefully he's holding some back for a sequel because I can tell you it's a compelling read. It really is. If you've gotten just a taste from this interview let me tell you it gets even better so absolutely run right out grab that stars don't carry their own baggage both meanings i love it and i'm going to add in if you have not gotten your tickets yet for dream sonic and this is something that interests you at all i don't know what you're waiting for go out grab those tickets because i'm telling you this is going to be an event and i've already seen videos from their first night and just to see those guys along with Devin Townsend, with Animals as Leaders, and just all those performers up there jamming together, that is something special. And I'm gonna hope it's not the only time we get to see it. I'm gonna hope this is something that becomes a regular thing for Dream Theater and all the bands that wanna go along with them. Because I tell you what, we can talk about some really big, big, big festivals. Finally in the US, something to match what goes on in Europe, which we don't get so much of. And it'd be very cool to have that here. So I encourage you to go out, buy Rick Fulner's book, Stars Don't Carry Their Own Baggage. Check out the Dream Sonic Tour with Dream Theater, Devin Townsend, Animals as Leaders, and have a blast. The book is great. The tour I have incredibly high hopes for, and I don't think I will be disappointed, and I don't think you will be either. My thanks once again to Rick Fulner for so generously giving me his time to have a nice long chat about the book and about the tour. Look forward to chatting with him again in the future, God willing. And I look forward to seeing more of his work because you know what? I'm going to be thinking about it just a little bit more in the future about the tour managers and the people behind the scenes when I go to concerts. You should be too. Thank you for joining me once again for Bleeding Edge Interviews. 
Just a quick reminder, you can find me on social media, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. If you haven't already, please check out my other interviews. They are available wherever you find podcasts. Just search under Toxic Radio. And of course, they're always available at ToxicRadio.net. Meanwhile, remember, Bleeding Edge is on Sundays at 10 a.m. and 5 p.m. Eastern, right in the middle of the Brain Salad Sunday, where we feature all day long prog rock, prog metal, anything that pushes the boundaries. This is Super Dave, signing off.